Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. When I was growing up, it seemed like there was always snow on the ground around Christmas time. When I was in middle school and high school, our, our family lived in some suburbs of some northern cities of Youngstown, Ohio, and Chicago, Illinois, and there just seemed to be snow every year. And on Christmas Eve, and oftentimes on the evening of Christmas Day, I would go out just alone in the evening. And oftentimes, there were no clouds in the sky, and I'd see just the stars up there and the moon, and it would just be just a a beautiful moment. But the thing that really captured my attention was the snow, because often the temperature was such that the snow was just glistening. It was kind of like a million diamonds on the ground. You remember, you've seen that before, where just everything is sparkling everywhere. And it felt like a holy moment. Holy not just because of the the, the great scene and the beauty of it and the quiet of it, but also holy because we've been celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ who is the light of the world. The song that Nikki just sang a moment ago was called Hush, speaking about this newborn king who was born to set us free. The chorus goes this way, so hush now, hear the holy sound, don't rush now, this is holy ground. Reminds me of the words in the Old Testament where we read, be still and know that I am God. Could could today be for some of you a holy moment? Could it be that today we're standing on holy ground? When I read that chorus, I was reminded of the story in the Old Testament involving Moses before he led the people of Israel out of Egypt. He was a shepherd. He was 80 years old. He was tending to his father-in-law's sheep. And he was with the sheep some distance away from where he was staying. And he came across a bush that was on fire, but it was not being consumed by the fire. And he was really kind of baffled by that. And so he decided that he wanted to go over and kind of check it out. And all of a sudden, God spoke to him from the bush and said, don't come any nearer. You have to take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And what makes something holy ground is when God is there, when God is present. Moses hadn't realized that he was in a holy place, that he was in the presence of the creator of the universe. But I don't want us to miss the symbolism of that story, what God was trying to communicate. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as being like a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, and when God revealed himself to the people of Israel, you remember as they stood around Mount Sinai where Moses was going to get the Ten Commandments, it says the top half of the mountain was on fire. It was a picture of the holiness of God. And what God was trying to communicate to Moses was that even though he is a consuming fire, even though he is holy, he had chosen to enter into and live with the people of God. He was going to dwell among them and they would not be consumed by his holy presence. It was, in a sense, what we call Emmanuel. God with us. And God was extending peace to the people of Israel in such a wonderful way. 
And of course, this time of the year, we celebrate Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. Such an amazing thing that the creator of the universe should enter this world as an infant so that he might live among us, so that he might dwell with us and offer peace. As we think of the Advent season, there are certain subjects that come up like having hope and faith and joy and peace. All of these are found in Jesus in the birth of Christ. But tonight I'd like to focus briefly on the peace that God wants to offer us. You know, peace is in kind of short supply these days. I understand right now there are about 40 wars going on in the world. And if you look around, a lot of people aren't at peace with one another. You, you just see kind of fights breaking out between people. And counselors will tell you that a lot of people are struggling with a lack of peace inside. And yet Jesus came to bring us peace. This was the announcement that the angels had made to the shepherds who were in their fields at night tending the, their sheep on the night that Jesus was born. In Luke chapter 2, we read these words in verses 10 through 13. The angel said to them, to the shepherds, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was with the multitude of the heavenly host, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and here's the phrase, peace on earth to people he favors. The glory of God is that there would be peace with people. This is what Jesus was coming to introduce into this world, peace, Emmanuel. Is such a thing possible? The Hebrew and Greek words for peace in our English Bibles are very rich in meaning. They, they mean a lot more than what you usually think of when you think of peace. Like when I think of the word peace, uh, I think of two people that couldn't get along and suddenly they can and so they make peace with each other. But the word is so much richer than that. A scholar by the name of E.E. E. Carpenter explains it this way concerning the Hebrew word shalom. The Hebrew translation of shalom is completeness, wholeness, well-being or welfare and peace. It's derived from the root that means to be complete, to be sound. And so to be at peace, in a sense, it means to be whole. And, and when we're not at peace with God, then we're not one with him. We're not whole with him. We're not, when we're not at peace with other people, it means we're not united with them. We're not one with them. When we lack peace within our own hearts, it's like there's a fracturing going on inside of us. And what Jesus wants to bring to us is a wholeness Shalom is this idea of everything is well, well with God, well with other people, well within us. And what I want us to understand here tonight or this afternoon is that Jesus Christ is the path to peace. This was his reason for coming into this world as a baby. And I want to talk briefly about the peace he offers, a peace with God, first of all, then a peace within, and then a peace that extends to other people. But I'll spend most of the time on this peace with God because it's, it's the thing from which the other things flow when we're right with God. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5.1 explains how people can be at peace with God. He writes, Therefore, since we've been declared righteous or right, by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In other words, God declares people to be righteous or right in his eyes when they put their faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ to be their savior. And this is very important because you cannot be at peace with God if he doesn't declare you to be right. You see, God is holy. We are not holy. There's a gap that comes between us and we kind of recognize that and, and if we're not right with God, if our sin still clings to us, then we will not be at peace with God. The sin has to be removed somehow, which is why Jesus came into this world. Now, most people, I think, are willing to admit the fact that they sin. The word sin just means to miss the mark, and I think, I think most people will acknowledge that. Even children recognize that they sin. I came across some letters that children wrote to Santa. I'd like to read some of them for you. One child wrote, Dear Santa, could you come early this year? I've been really super good, but I don't know if I could last much longer. Please hurry. Love, Jaden. It's like he realized, I can't hold on to this being good thing long enough, you know? Another child wrote, Dear Santa, Mama says that you only bring presents for good little boys. That isn't fair. <laughs> it was obviously some kid that realized uh, he may not be getting a lot of presents if it's based on how good he was. He was aware of the fact that he had sinned. About a week and a half ago, there was a special insert in the local newspaper here, the Dominion Post. It was an insert that was called Letters to Santa from Area School Children. A lot of the letters began with something along the lines of, I've been a good boy or girl, and, and these are the toys that I would like. Some of the letters were wonderfully honest. I just loved them. One wrote, for example, I have been a little bad this year, but just a little. Another wrote, I've been good most of the time. I mean, it's just honest. He's acknowledging, I mean, I'm not good all the time. I've been good most of the time. And I love this third one. It was a request. Can I be on the good list? I know why I was bad, but it was worth it. <laughs> it's like, I just want to know. <laughs> what, you, what is it here? But even children understand this. We all blow it. We all sin. What people don't understand is that if this sin is not dealt with, it comes in between us and our Creator. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 59 too, but your iniquities or sins have built barriers between you and your God. And your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. And yet there's hope. It's a hope that's reflected in Romans 5, 8 where we read, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus specifically came into this world so that we could be made at peace with God. He came into this world so that he could take upon himself our sin. The Son of God and God the Son lived a sinless life specifically so that he could take the sin that clings to each of us upon himself. It's kind of like he looked at me and said, Tim, I'll take all of your sin. I'll remove it from you as far as the east is from the west, is what we read in the Bible. I'll take it from you. I'll take it upon myself. And he was judged in my place and for my sin on the cross. And with the sin removed from me, suddenly it's possible for my relationship with God to be restored. Suddenly it's possible for me to know a holy God. You know, when, when, when Moses found out that he was talking to God. The text says that when God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it says Moses looked away, he couldn't even look. See, that's the problem. God is holy and we're not, and Moses was painfully aware of it, but what if the sin could be removed? 
What if we could be declared righteous? And when Jesus was raised from the dead, it demonstrated that God accepted the payment that he had made on our behalf. And when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, there's kind of a change that takes place where Jesus Christ is judged in our place and for our sin. The apostle Paul said God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And in this way, Jesus saves us from our sin. And this is why the angels announced to those shepherds in the field at night there, he said, Savior, Messiah, has been born. And this is why the angels said to Joseph, Jesus' father or stepfather more accurately, he said, you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He would deliver us from this sin that clings to us. He would declare us righteous so that our relationship with God could be restored. I love this image I found online, and perhaps you've seen it too, of Isaiah 9, 6. It's, it's just a, a quotation of the verse for those that are just listening online or on the radio and can't see the image, but it's like a poster. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's it. But two words are in big letters, for, the first word, and given, the last word, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, forgiven. And that's what stands out. And that's why Paul said what he did in Romans 5.1 when he said, therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so for some of you here today, ask the question, is this a holy moment for you to put your trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to acknowledge what I'm talking about here, that Jesus entered this world, lived a sinless life so he could die in your place and for your sin, raised again from the dead. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. As many as receive him, to those who believe in his name, God gives the privilege to become his children. And when in the simplicity, the sincerity of our own heart, we say yes to Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, I need a savior, and I say yes to you, Jesus. I want your death and resurrection to count for me. We are forgiven. And that's the starting point. This is the thing that leads to peace with God, but from this, now we can have a certain peace within. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, a quite amazing thing happens. When, when you receive Christ as your savior, we read that the, that the Holy Spirit comes to actually live inside of you. Like Paul put it this way to the Corinthians. He said, do you not know that you're the temple of God? That the Spirit of God actually lives inside of you. And he lives inside of us to produce peace, among other things. In fact, the entire Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved in making it possible for us to experience peace inside. Speaking about the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The evidence of God's Spirit within us, you see, he comes to live within us and he begins to work change within us, produces peace within us. And so we know the Holy Spirit does that. But Jesus himself said he would offer us peace too in John 14, 27. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Jesus is able to give us his peace. In addition, though, God the Father invites us to approach him when there are things in our lives that are stealing the peace. 
when, when there's something that's wrong and we're struggling with whatever inside, he invites us to bring it to him. And so we read in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we could learn just to really grab that thing that we're struggling with and lay it at the feet of God. He promises that there will be a peace that we will experience in our hearts and lives. And I know this is true. Recently, I was reflecting on the fact that it was two years ago during this time of year that I spent nine days in the hospital because my appendix died. I don't know how else to word it. It, it, was, it, it, it turned gangrene. The doctor said it was gangrene in there. And they opened me up. It was an absolute mess. My organs were stuck together. I had no idea I was as sick as I was. I mean, I walked in thinking, I'm going to get something for indigestion. And they cut me open. And after the surgery, the doctor said to me repeatedly, he said, people die from this, and you're not out of the woods yet. He also said that if things don't get going, your system, well, you might have to cut part of your colon out. You might have to go back into surgery. You would think with news like that that it would just send me into a tail dive. I have a peace I can't even explain. A recognition that my God is my God. That he is in charge and I gave it to him and recognized that he is faithful and he's been good. When we're children of God, we are at peace with God, but there's a peace that he's able to give us as well. Which leads to my last point. It's possible for us to be at peace with other people. During the time of Christ, there was what was called Pax Romana. It was a season in history where I understand there were no wars in the entire Roman Empire. Roman peace prevailed over everything. It didn't last long. And of course, as I said earlier, people are not at peace today, but there's something about the peace that God provides us with and the fact that we are at peace with God ourselves that allows us to be at peace with other people. He puts it within our hearts. We're at peace within our hearts and with Him. In addition, though, the basis of that peace that we have with our Creator is forgiveness. We've been forgiven by God. And most of the time, when it comes to people who can't get along with each other, when there's a problem there, it's because one won't forgive the other or both won't forgive each other. The problem is a lack of forgiveness. But Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.32, he said, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And of course, God has extended this peace to us. And therefore, in Romans 12, 18, we read, if possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. It may not always be possible. There's some people that will never allow you to be at peace with them. But God invites us to be ones who are peacemakers. Didn't Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God? And they're called children of God because that's the way our God is. He's a peacemaker. And it's why he sent Jesus into this world to make peace between us and him. So I want to offer three questions by way of application. For some of you, have you found that peace with God? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you understood this is why he came and why he went to the cross and that through faith in him, you could be at peace with God? Second, have you learned to turn to God 
over those things that stir in your heart when you're not at peace? Have you learned what it means to just sit in the presence of God and experience His peace? And third, are you willing this Christmas to maybe pursue peace with others? Now, this time we're going to sing a song for you. It's titled, It's Always Been You. I love the words of this song because it's like a song that we just sing to our God. And some of the words go this way. You are the voice that calms the storm inside me. You're the castle walls that stand around me. All this time, my guardian was you. You're the light that shines in every tunnel. There in the past, you'll be there tomorrow. All my life, your love was breaking through.
as we consider this amazing plan where you sent your son into this world in such a way who could have imagined that the creator of the heavens and the earth would enter this world as an infant so helpless so that he might be Emmanuel God with us and we are so thankful that you invite us into your presence and extend peace to us so that we might have inner peace and we might be at peace with others we are grateful thankful that we can come to you in Jesus name amen according to my on online research silent night was penned by a guy named Joseph Moore he was a pastor at the church of st. Nicholas in Austria after a Christmas program at the church in December 23rd 1818 he was walking home it was a particularly snowy night and he was looking out over at the village and he saw the same thing I described earlier with the snow and the stars. And his heart was just moved. And he remembered that he had two years earlier penned a poem. It was called Silent Night. And he thought, boy, if this poem could be put to music for tomorrow, which was going to be Christmas Eve, and they were going to have a Christmas Eve Mass. He said, if we could put this to music, it'd be so wonderful. And so the next morning on Christmas Eve day, he went to his organist, a guy named Franz Gruber, and asked him to put organ music to this song. But Gruber said, uh, I hate to break the news to you, but the organ won't work. Mice had damaged the bellows of the organ. It won't work. And so Moore said, well, then put it to guitar music. And Gruber said, well, I don't play guitar, but Moore convinced him he could learn three or four chords. And so in about an hour, he put together this song called Silent Night, the music to it. And that evening, they sang it as a quartet. These two plus two women sang it, and it spread throughout northern Europe. Several years later, this song was played before the king of Prussia in 1834, and he, at that point, said, I want this particular song to be sung every Christmas Eve from now on by the cathedral choir. Twenty years after it was written, it was brought to the United States and sung in New York City at Trinity Church. And now Silent Night is sung in more than 300 different languages around the world.
Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.